Welcome to the Hardwick Evangelical Church Weekly Podcast. Kate asked me, um, told me what the theme was. It's a passage that means something to me. I think that was the theme we were supposed to be doing. Um, and I know you're not really supposed to have a favourite verse in the Bible because it's all very good, uh, but probably my very, very, very favourite verse in the Bible is in this particular passage, which is partly why I chose it. Um, we are going back to the Old Testament and we're going to Daniel 3. Uh, Daniel's a book that um, I really, really like going back to at a lot of times uh, when I'm reading. Um, it's, it's a very interesting book. Uh, in two parts. The first part of the book is great uh, in terms of it's very easy to understand. It's all about stories about people, uh, about people and the situations that they're in, uh, and we can relate to it, I think, or at least I can. Um, the second half of the book is, is interesting in its own right, uh, and unless you're um, particularly uh, versed as a Bible scholar, um, it's not perhaps the easiest thing to understand. So I'm not going to try and go into the end of Daniel 2. Uh, sorry, the, the end of Daniel, because um, I don't think I'm quite there yet. Uh, however, we can do Daniel 3. Um, I'm going to uh, read it in sections. I'm going to talk about each section. I think I did this last time I spoke, uh, but we'll go with that. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to look at what the... Um, I said this last time, I think, what the Bible says, hopefully what it meant at the time, and then what it means to us, uh, and look at what kind of that takeaway might be, or what, what I think it says anyway. Um, if you uh, do want to chat with me about it or uh, tell me that I haven't said something correctly or at least that I have, um, I'll go to Dave's Open House on um, uh, Thursday, I'll be there, uh, or you can just get a hold of me uh, at some other point as well, so um, do, uh, do chat with me um, uh, at some point. So uh, what we've got is, we, we're in Daniel 3, but just, just to set a little bit of context, um, we've got uh, Daniel, the start of the book is where Daniel and his three mates have gone, well, lots of people have, but they're in exile, okay? So they're in Babylon, and kind of the start of the book, uh, as, we, as we probably know, is, is all about Daniel uh, and what he's doing, and also uh, with his th uh, three friends who were part of um, the uh, Babylonian uh, kind of uh, court. So we're at the point where um, there's been stories of Daniel 1, there's been stories where Daniel and his friends have been kind of uh, gone into a foreign land and they're using their, uh, but they've still got their own, their faith, they're, they're Hebrews, so they've got their faith uh, in, in God and um, they're in a foreign land who, whose gods aren't the same. Um, and so what they've done is, um, in the start of the book of Daniel, I mean, um, you probably know, just, just to set a context, uh, they've done a, um, they've had a story at the start of Daniel 1 where they had to stand up for some of the food that was being served in the royal court, uh, and uh, they stood up for their own, um, uh, for, in their own beliefs in what they would eat, and uh, God uh, honoured uh, what they stood up for uh, and brought them through uh, and so now they're kind of going up in, in the royal court. In, in Daniel 2, Daniel uh, was uh, interpreting dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar um, and because uh, Daniel had done that, um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was recognising at that point um, Daniel's God uh, as being uh, a worthy God, more worthy than his kind of gods and the gods that they um, followed. 
Um, and as a result, Daniel got promoted, but so did his three friends. Uh, and now uh, we're at the point where we've got um, uh, the three people this story is essential. I say the story is about, and we'll come back to that towards the end and we'll see what the story really is about. Uh, but the three people the story is about, who, is, who are uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who are Daniel's friends, uh, and what they um, are, have just been promoted, at the end of Daniel 2, they've just been promoted to administrators over Babylon. So that's kind of, I don't know much about the Babylonian system, but administrators is someone <laughs> high up in the, um, in the, in the area, and look, politicians kind of, that kind of thing, I think. Anyway, that's what I'm going with. Um, so I'm just going to read chapter 1 um, to 7, uh, and we'll look at what's going on here. So, um, uh, so chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 7. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned his satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so here's, here's the start of the story. Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the story that we just talked about, was acknowledging Daniel's God. Um, now Nebuchadnezzar has, uh, has decided that, he, that actually we need another God. He needs another God. So he's made a massive image. Massive. Um, so I'll look this up. 60 cubits um, high and 6 cubits wide. There's something like 60 metres by 3 metres. So it's like a massive, ridiculous statue um, made of gold. Uh, I haven't done a bit of research on this. Probably the outside was gold, probably not the whole entire thing being gold, but kind of lined with gold. So pretty impressive uh, kind of idol he's set up. Um, and what he then does is he commands everybody, all the people under his authority, to worship uh, the statue. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's in the form of uh, they go to the desert, to the plains in the desert, um, and... Uh, they go and all of the proper important people that Nebuchadnezzar can command are there. And he commands them all to worship the statue. Now he has a dedication for it. So what we're looking at is, it, this is, this is a god, this is a religious dedication. This is something that he is putting up in, in place of God. So it's another one of these Babylonian gods. They had lots of them, but it's another one that he's set up. Having previously, just a little before, declared that Daniel's God must be the God, he's now decided actually um, he, he's going to go a, a little bit back on that and he's going to make another God because this God will be obviously better. <coughs> so he's made another God. Um, and what he's done is he's set that up in the desert um, because Nebuchadnezzar is a very powerful ruler. He's the one who, he believes 
essentially he, he said God was God, but he believes he's above God and he's setting up his own gods and he wants uh, essentially to be... I mean, it, it's not a statue of Nebuchadnezzar from what I can gather, but it's, it's to worship the God and himself, really. That's kind of the, the upshot of what it's all about. Um, and so he commands them all to worship. Now, what then happens is, uh, um, we move on to the next part, and this is, I'm going to read 8 to 18, I'm going to look at where our boys, I'm going to call them boys, they would have been young men, um, not particularly uh, old, um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to call them that for the moment, uh, might be uh, not very reverent, but we're going to do that, uh, and I'm going to put them in the, um, I'm going to, we're going to look at what they're now doing here. At this time, some astrologers came forward, I'm in verse 8, and, announced, and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, thither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of God. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your God nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown into, immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I said I was going to go to um, uh, 18. I'm just going to stop there briefly. Um, so what's happened is, if I was to use everyday language, essentially the, the, the three guys here have been stitched up by uh, some other of the uh, officials. Uh, and they've gone over and they've told tales uh, on the, uh, the, the, the boys, and they've said, um, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the greatest. You have uh, given this decree. And they've even read out exactly his words, so they're quoting Nebuchadnezzar back to him. And they've said, uh, but by the way, these guys who you promoted the other week um, are actually now saying they're not going to do it. Um, and so what they're doing is they're kind of winding King Nebuchadnezzar up a bit and saying to him, um, uh, you know, you, you're king, you're all powerful, you're, you're important, and these guys are going against what you've said. And do you remember what you said? Um, so what King Nebuchadnezzar then does is he, um, he then gets the guys over, he calls them over and says, well, you know what, I'm going to give them the chance I'm going to remind them of my command. He, he, doesn't, he can't lose faith, he's the king, but he's going to remind them of his command and check that they understood what was going on. I think that's what I gather from here. So he's going to tell them and remind them and say, it's okay, but you need to do it now. Um, so he brings them forward, um, and uh, he's really cross, really cross at this point. So he brings them forward, and what he does is he asks them again. He tells them if they're going to do this. Uh, so here's... Uh, what they say, and this is where one of my uh, favourite verses pops into the passage. 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay? So they, the boys essentially stand in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, they have two choices. They have the choice to say, mm, actually, uh, this is a powerful God, we, uh, this is a powerful king that we're standing in front of. He's set a decree. Um, we, we could be in a bit of trouble here. So we could just go, okay, yeah, fair enough. That's, that's a compromise that we need to make to, to sort ourselves out. Or they could say, what they then say is, stand firm. They, they could stand firm and say, actually, no, my God is all-powerful and he is truthful and he's faithful and what I'm doing now is I'm going to surrender my future into God's hands because the consequences um, are, could be disastrous. We're looking to see that, that the possibility of the consequences of being disastrous is really important. Um, so they, they choose to stand firm. This is, this is where my favourite verse comes in. It's 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Uh, just, it's an interesting read. And when I, I've read it a few times, I've read it a lot of times. When you read it a few times, it's even if he does not. Is that a, a point of doubt for the young men? Or is that a, actually, we totally and utterly are persuaded by the truth that whatever our future is, it's in your hands? And I think it's the latter in that particular instance. I'm, I, in fact, I'm, I'm dead certain it is. And so that's why that verse is, is particularly poignant. And we'll kind of come back to that when I'm, I'm just kind of wrapping up as well. There's an interesting side in this particular, um, in this particular uh, bit here as well, is that if, um, you know, if, if we're to read the Bible and, and follow God's commands, it's, there's a lot of stuff in it, in particular if we went into, I'm doing an aside, into Romans 13, where um, God's command is to follow the rulers and authorities of the land. Uh, and we are told to do that. And is this particular passage saying to us, oh, you know what, uh, the king, the, the, the government say to do this, but you know what, um, I'm going to do something else. Now, I don't think that's a, that's a carte blanche to say that particular thing, but in this particular instance it is because it's, this is one point where the um, government's, the king's authority is actually overruling uh, God's m most important command to serve no other gods beyond me. So there's no command in scripture that would allow us to violate the command to worship anyone other than God. So in this case, there is that okay for this because it's a worship of an idol. And so actually, that this, this rule does apply in this particular instance because there's no worship of any God, of anyone other than God, and this is worship of an idol. So yes, it's the king's edict, but actually this goes against uh, Ten Commandments, God's, God's most, one of God's most important commands. So in this particular instance, this is an uh, acceptable 
situation to be in. So let's kind of just go from there um, and we'll uh, work out where we're at now. Um, and we're going to 19 and we're going to carry on through to the end of the passage, uh, nearly the end of the passage. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitudes towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And then these men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Okay, so we get to the point where they've decided, they've stood firm and they've said, nope, not, not, going, uh, not doing what you say, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the consequence of that is being thrown into the uh, fiery furnace. Uh, pretty devastating consequence. Um, and so what happens now is we see it right at the start of that little bit, uh, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar is furious. And so rather than just throw them into the furnace that's already there, he heats it more and more and more. And it's, it, it's just a, an image uh, of essentially the, the furiousness of his pride being hurt by these boys standing up and refusing the king's command. So he kind of loses control. Uh, the idea of the king and King Nebuchadnezzar in particular other kings is that they want control. They want overall control. That's, that's what they're there for at this particular time. And so the pride of Nebuchadnezzar is, is hurt and he's furious and he's lost control. Uh, so much so that when, he throws the, the, when he's able to throw the uh, boys in the fire, the people who he sent, his actual strong fighting men who he needs, get burnt up and they get killed. So his sacrifice and their blood's on his hands for his loss of control over the fact that he was being stood up to. So it's quite a scary, a horrible thing, really. Um, but then what happens is um, they look in the fire and he sees Nebuchadnezzar sees the, the uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and another individual walking around in the fire. And what he sees is a miracle. No other, there's no other word for it, is there? An absolute miracle. There's no other explanation for what happened. Um, and so he realises there's something he, he, he's seen here. He's, he's been, he, he understands, I think, that there's something uh, at play here, something more bigger than him at play here. So he calls, he calls out, and, and the way he calls out shows that. He calls out uh, and acknowledges um, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego as servants of the Most High God. So he's again recognised, like he did at the end of Daniel 2, he's recognised again that their God is the most powerful. 
that our God is the most powerful. And he's seen um, God's act of mercy for those individuals who are in the flames. Because that's what it is. They are, um, they are God's followers. They are following his commands. But it's an act of mercy that those young men are surviving in, in the flames. And there's that fourth strange uh, individual who could only perhaps be described as must, must an angel there looking after the, uh, the, the, the boys when they're, when they're in that, um, when they're in the, in the furnace. And so then what happens is uh, we, we just come into uh, 28 and uh, uh, 29 and then uh, towards the end and then I'll just, just wrap up what's, what's been said here. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel, recognising that, and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Uh, the, the end of that, uh, the, the middle of that verse is incredible where, where Nebuchadnezzar is, is um, uh, then declaring to the entire uh, of Babylon that actually they now need to serve a Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's God. But he, he does that crazy thing again like he did previously where he gets, uh, goes over the top. Oh, well, I'll cut all the people up who don't serve him now. That's not perhaps quite what uh, the uh, option is that we wanted to go on there, because he, he's flipped the other way. Now this is, this is the best God, um, Nebuchadnezzar is saying. He's the most high, he's the most important. So anyone who doesn't serve him will chop them up. I mean, they're not throwing them in a, in a fire, but they're going to chop them up and destroy their drums. I think that's probably a bit too far for him to go. Uh, but, but that is what occurred. And then, and then at the very end, the last verse goes, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Um, I'm going to just, just wrap up in a second, um, and, but just a, a little aside on that last verse. Should, um, just when we are faithful and loyal to God, should that mean that we're going to expect promotion? I wonder if, if that's what that verse is. It doesn't, I'm going to tell you now, that's not what it means. However, that was um, uh, towards the end of that passage and just an interesting aside. So I think there are two things, really, that I always think about when I uh, listen to this. Um, and the first one is, the reason why this particular passage really uh, speaks to me is it's, it's the story of people. People who, in any other life and in any other world, could have been me, could have been you. You know, these are people who uh, were at a time when things were different. And what they did was, they, they've got an incredible faith and courage and conviction, but not necessarily because uh, God said to them, um, I will deliver you from the flames. It was more than that. It was driven by confidence that God was in total control. Not for gain for them, but for the glory of God. So it is very easy, I think, to look at this passage and go, wow, they're stand-up men of faith. I'd love to be able to do that. In that situation, would I stand up and do that? Well, I'm not in that situation. Um, I hope I never, ever would be. But if I am, would that be my response? 
But where does that response come from? Is it, would that be my response? Oh, can I be that strong? It, it's not from something I can do. It's really, really important that we remember that because I think as a youngster, I used to think that. Something I can do, I can stand up. I can stand there and say, in the midst of lots of trouble, I can stand there and say, um, yes, my God will deliver me from it. But even if he doesn't, I will still not worship your God. Now, it, it's not from that. It's actually driven from the truth of God's word. They were confident that God was in total control and they knew it because it's what they grew up with, it's what they believed. And that's the most important takeaway for those individuals in that particular instance. But the second takeaway actually probably should be the first one. Because we talk about this story quite often, and I think I, I'm, I'm in danger of doing the same thing, about being an incredible story of faith by, by three young men in, in that particular instance. But what it is, is it's an incredible story of the power of God. Because actually, there was a situation there where, and, and as they say it, even if he does not, there's a, any, they could have just burned up in the flames. And the principle of the story might have been they stood there, but they, they didn't get the deliverance. But what it is, is an incredible story of the power of God and the control and the authority. And the incredible mercy that God has for us, that he intervenes in our lives if we trust him. So it's not that he, everything is all right all the time. It's interesting, just as we were saying, that's kind of what we're going to go into. It's not that everything is all right all the time, maybe. And it's not that it will turn out exactly the way that we want it to. And it doesn't always, does it? We know that. We know the hurt and the pain of things that don't turn out the way we want to. And, and we also know the confusion of that sometimes, don't we? Why? Why did you not sort that out for me? Because you're supposed to love me. We know the confusion of that. But we, the most important thing for us to remember is, actually, it's God's mercy to us to ever do anything for us. And it's our response to say, I will trust you, whatever the outcome. And it's a real, it always pulls me up short, always. Can I remember that God's in charge? And this is a story all about God's power. This whole book, the whole Bible is a story about God's power and influence and authority and his mercy to us as broken people. And can my response be, I will trust you whatever is to come. And that's, that's why this particular passage is important to me uh, and what I think we can learn from it. So... For more information about Hardwick Evangelical Church, please click the website link in our bio.